At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we are going guestless on this uh, December 10th edition of the show. We are in full prospect handbook uh, mode over at Baseball America. Joe and I are, are slipping out to, to do, a, do a podcast for you all to talk some college baseball. We're going to talk about... Uh, teams that might be uh, might be bounce back candidates for the 2022 season. Joe wrote about that subject uh, a little bit earlier this fall. We never got into it on the podcast, and genuinely, I don't think either Joe or I remembers why that happened. But it is a good uh, topic to get into now, especially with uh, you know schools getting to the finals break, and you know before you know it, we'll, we'll have to be out here making preseason top 25s official and, and all the rest of it. So we're going to dive into some schools that, uh, that might be, might be some, some, uh, you know, might've, might've had down 2021, but could, uh, could rebound here in the 2022 season. So that that's the plan today on the baseball America college podcast, which is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, I, uh, I said there that uh, we were in full prospect handbook mode and uh really that was i was in full prospect handbook mode racing to get the uh the guardians chapter done joe of course uh got his work uh in much earlier i was the one that was uh was pushing deadline pretty hard this year well it's uh you know i got my my chapter in a little bit earlier than you did but uh none of us are exempt here at baseball america from the handbook work so i've had my head down reading editing other people's chapters to get those ready to go in the book. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a choose your own adventure kind of thing, you know, either you're still working on your chapter or you're editing other people's, but, but one way or the other, it's a, it's an all hands on deck week here at BA. And that's the reason we're coming to you a little bit later this week, the normal, but still wanted to get something, uh, squeezed in. And also, uh, because I've been editing the chapter so much, it's a nice rest for my eyes to not be staring intently at a Google doc for hours on it. It's kind of nice to, you know, 
have a microphone on and be able to look around this room, which I'm doing right now, which you can't see, uh, <laughs> looking at something other than a screen is, is kind of nice, at least for an hour or so. Absolutely. The, uh, the Prospect Handbook, if you're interested, can be pre-ordered at baseballamerica.com. It goes to press next week, so it'll be out. You know, the regular time it comes out, um, sometime later this winter before spring training, generally, um, you know, late, late January, early February, if you order uh, from us over at baseballamerica.com. Also this week, uh, part of the reason I was so late in getting my chapter done is I expanded the um, recruiting rankings to a 25, to a full 25, the, the 2022 recruiting class rankings. Uh, on signing day, we published a top 15, now expanded that to a full top 25. So if you are interested in that, uh, if you enjoyed us talking about that the last time we talked about it, uh, you know, about a month ago now, uh, and want to dive in further on those teams, 16 through 25, those are, those are now available full, full breakdowns over at baseballamerica.com. We've never had recruiting class rankings for, you know, run this deep this early. I've done top tens and top 15s. I've even did done a top 25, but never had full write-ups for all 25 teams. So that's a new thing. Uh, this year, and you can uh, you can check check that out if you're into it. If you're curious, Tamar Johnson still has not committed to a college, so uh, there might be another update to come if uh, if that does happen anytime. Uh, here we will uh, we'll certainly have to update the rankings to reflect that. Um, Joe, did uh, anything else happen? Oh yeah, and also this week in in college sports news, uh, Arkansas Little Rock. Uh, is headed to the Ohio Valley Conference. Joe, did you see when that is supposed to happen? Is that is that a next year thing, two year thing? Baseball wise, the twenty three season will be there. Twenty twenty three season. All right, yeah. so that's a next uh, like this is their last the year cycle. period in the Correct. cycle. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, I don't know that. I mean, obviously that doesn't move any specific needles, but the Ohio Valley Conference. Uh, I guess that's a signal that they're not going away. They've uh, been hit pretty hard here in realignment. Uh, with schools going to the ASUN and wherever else they're going, but they, uh, the clear sign they're adding Little Rock that they're, uh, they're, they're going to keep going. Yeah. I mean, they just needed, they, they kind of needed numbers. Not that they were at a dangerously low level, like say the MEAC has been, or even the summit league at various points, but they had lost some guys, some, some teams, they, they needed some numbers. They get it with Arkansas Little Rock, which from a baseball standpoint is a, given the OVC is a, a positive ad. I think that's a program headed in the right direction. So I think that's a, that's a good thing there. I think the, you know, UT Arlington also, you know, you and I talked about this offline, you know, UT Arlington has kind of with the reporting that's been done on, on conference realignment has been reportedly maybe a little bit of mutual interest from the Missouri Valley conference. Um, it's clear the Sun Belt is prioritizing football. And so schools like Little Rock and UT Arlington don't really have a place in that. So I would, I think that's what's, what's driving this here. I, the conferences, we've also talked about this online, the conferences that feel like you know, uh, that, that are worth watching here too, from a baseball standpoint, our leagues like the summit and the horizon, because those, especially if Missouri Valley is continues or in the Ohio Valley, frankly, continues. so part of the reason that that's happening is there was a report from Matt Norlander of CBS sports that, uh, Illinois, Chicago really wants in the Valley. Correct. The Missouri it's, Valley, I should say. Yes. So, you know, as long as the Missouri Valley continues to want to add, if the Ohio Valley continues to want to add, the horizon and the summit league are, are roughly in the footprint. Um, and those leagues are at a level in baseball. 
uh, a precarious level of teams. And so those are, I think, some conferences to watch in terms of that. I'll be interested to see because baseball doesn't drive the bus on any of this. It ends up kind of being a secondary or tertiary concern for these conferences. Uh, How many baseball teams do we have? So is there outside of the box solutions that come from that, some sort of scheduling lines? I don't even know if that's possible, but just something worth watching as as these conferences are trying to jockey for position and, and pull from whatever conference they deem to be one rung below them. And in a lot of cases in the Midwest, that ends up being those kinds of leagues. Or uh, I don't know, the, the Summit League last time it needed a team, it went out and added St. Thomas uh, Division Three team. And like that was obviously a very specific situation happening where St. Thomas got kicked out of its Division Three league for being too good and too big for like it had just outgrown the league and its league mates were sick of it. Uh, so they moved up to Division One, and Joe wrote about that. If if you're curious, it, like what is unprecedented, uh, but that's that's an example, I suppose, of the outside the box thinking we've seen from the Summit League, which also, uh, you know, recently around the same time, I think, added Northern Colorado as a baseball only member, Correct, taking yeah. them from uh, from the the WAC, and uh, you know, so again. Summit League engaging in some of that outside the box thinking uh, Joe's talking about. I guess also noted in that um, uh, report from Norlander, I'm just trying to remember this now, but there was something about if, uh, you know, how even Nebraska Omaha could could get involved in some of this stuff if, uh, if expansion really were to break loose and the Summit Missouri Valley kind of deal. So yeah, the, the Summit League has been been an area where uh, they they have been right on the edge of losing their auto bid before, uh, and here we are talking about more Summit League teams possibly uh, maneuvering. And so the outside the box thinking Joe and I or I proposed to Joe was uh, a merger of the Horizon League and the Summit League for baseball, and um, you know it, both leagues are operating very close to that minimum, so they're they're similar geography. Like I. I I don't think it would be outlandish. Obviously, pulling it off is way easier for me to say than it is for them to do. But that that might be something that they would would need to think about. I mean, there is like a, a minor, I would say, a minor precedent. But this year in FCS football, the A Sun and the WAC had something of a scheduling alliance. So the WAC was still the WAC, but the you know they they I think they played crossover games with the A Sun. Uh, so you know things like that have happened now i don't think anybody's especially now that members of what they thought were going to be a growing whack from a football standpoint are now moving on again to conference usa um you know that's clearly not a long-term solution there but stuff like that has been done in other sports so i imagine it's something that could be done if, if push comes to shove in baseball um one thing other thing with uh st thomas being up in the summit league now i'm really kind of hopeful that on some level games of theirs, and they should be because in this point in college baseball, just about everything is streamed. Um, you know, I write about that every February, but um, one of the most unique, and this is one of the things I wrote about in that piece about them about a year and a half ago, uh, they will have one of the more unique home parks in college baseball. Um, so do, do some Googling at home. I, I don't wanna, but it's just a um, interesting shaped. Um, they share a, or have historically, maybe something has changed as they've moved up into division one, but historically shared uh, a field with the football practice field. And so uh, the outfield has to accommodate uh, a mostly full size, if not entirely full size football practice field, which creates an interesting shape and a very deep center field. 
So if you got a little it, time, it's like the Polo Grounds, yeah, or like super like, old Yankee Stadium, not like old Yankee Stadium that you remember from 1995, but like super old Yankee Stadium when the monuments were in center field. Yeah, I mean it's I mean it's like quite literally 460 feet or something like that to center field. So um, you know, I talked a little bit about you know their coaching staff about like you know, how do you recruit to that and like it, I, it's been so long since I wrote it. I don't want to I don't even want to paraphrase what he said, but you know. It's, but that is an interesting recruiting challenge. You know, it's like, do you recruit crazy speed in center field or do you just kind of say like, eh, nobody's really going to burn us to deep center field that deep. So let's just play it straight up and just hope that that happens just once or twice a year, not all the time. You know, it's just an interesting, interesting little challenge. But once you uh, listen to this, uh, dear listener, do some, do some Googling and look for yourself. It is kind of a wild uh, situation they have there for a program, by the way, that, um, as Teddy mentioned, you know, obviously football is the primary thing here, but St. Thomas solid and in, in most sports, very good baseball program, very successful at division three levels. So whether or not they compete right away is another question. We saw kind of a mixed bag last year with the likes of Tarleton and, and Dixie state, which were only quote unquote coming up from D two. Um, so that's remains to be seen, but certainly the foundation is there for, for St. Thomas to be a, um, a, a little bit of a player at the division one level. And, and because there are not a lot of other options, there's just the one with the university of Minnesota in terms of division one opportunities. And a, and a lot of players come out of Minneapolis and the upper Midwest. So there does seem like there is a little bit of a recruiting opportunity for, for St. Thomas to carve out some kind of niche for themselves. It, uh, it is one of the more interesting things to follow. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's one of the more hipster things to follow this, this uh, program coming up from division three this year, starting the the transition into the division one. So uh, I have no doubt Joe will be following it being the college baseball hipster that he is. Uh, and therefore we'll probably be talking about them some more on the podcast too. So make sure you check out it. All you have to do is like go to their website and you can see the ridiculous center field situation. Uh, you, it, you don't have to work that hard for it. It's tommysports.com. T O M M I E sports.com. Uh, and uh, you'll, you'll see the, uh, the, uh, again, it's like polo grounds, basically. Um, if you, if you have a visual of that, dear listener, and you know, it's not like I saw polo grounds, but I've seen the footage. Uh, righty, So we're going to uh, get into our discussion about rebound candidates here for the, the 2022 season. Uh, here in a second but first check this out we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent indeed survey what I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Joe, we, we started to, I guess we, we started this last year. I, I don't even I hesitate to say start this because like it, we've done this twice now, but last year, probably out of necessity when we were doing t- top 25s uh, every week during uh, the extended off season, one of them was bounce back candidates as, as teams. Um, and you brought back that you brought that back this year. Uh, I guess you had 10 candidates here. Um, teams that, that were down relative to themselves, I guess, in uh, 2021 and looking at who might be in line uh, for, for 2022 rebound. And since you put this together, I'm going to let you introduce it any further if, you, uh, if there's nuance that I did not capture there. No, thanks. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> sure, I guess I'll do it. Um, so, yeah, so last year, it, it was kind of born out of necessity last year because, I mean, we can say this now because we're far enough removed from it and we're not in the teeth of it. And I think the listeners will appreciate and understand this. Like, Teddy and I worked really hard to give you guys, and this is not me looking for sympathy or whatever else. It's just a statement of fact. We worked really hard to try to get you guys a new top 25 as often as possible last off season, And some of them were easier than others. Um this idea, though, was a pretty good one um, last year as far as they go, uh, just because it was kind of a, something tangible we could wrap our arms around a little bit, which I think we were kind of desperate to do last year. Like, ranking uniforms was fun, but ultimately that's just kind of like a, you know, that was good for clicks, don't get me wrong, but, like, it wasn't didn't really have anything to do with the on-field product necessarily. So when we could do one last year that dealt with the on-field product and kind of focus us on that, we, we really kind of got excited about that. So this was one last year I thought that was – interesting to put together. Um, but going in, going into this next season, um, wanted to do it again. The struggle with this one this year was, you know, I kind of went into it as like, maybe I'll put some, some players on here. Cause the top 25 last year was players and teams combined. And I, I kind of thought maybe I'll do that again. The trouble was with players in order to be a bounce back candidate, there has to be something for you to, the, the implication is that you've been good at some point in the past and that the most recent version of what we saw was not as good. And so if that's the case, we're saying they weren't very good in 2021, but they were good before that. Well, unless we're going to go back to 2019, you know, the 2020 season, I don't think we can really count that. If a, if a guy was hitting 500 through 12 games in, in 2020 and then, you know, struggled in 2021, I don't know that we can really have a leg to stand on on that. So we just focused on teams, which I think there was a really good crop of them. Um, this year, there were several, you know, uh, major names and brands in, in college baseball that struggled in 2021 to varying degrees. So there was that. And I think also there were some teams that, that are on this list we'll talk about who probably were better than what they ended up showing, but just were snake bit. Uh, you know, whether it's injuries or COVID or, you know, in the case of Louisville, who will get to both. Um, so there was, I think there was just a lot working to make this a particularly robust list of teams that I, that I think 
uh, should be on the comeback trail in 2022. You know, we've kind of got them separated into a few different buckets because there's a few different reasons uh, why one should believe in a little bit of a comeback. So uh, looking forward to, to diving in on those because I think, you know, talking a little bit about those buckets and why we have them on this list, I think is is just as important as just the name itself because it's important that we understand the context of what a bounce back means relative to each team. Absolutely. Okay. So the, I guess the place that we'll start this are with Georgia. You have Georgia on this list. Georgia was, I mean, they weren't technically the first team out of the tournament. That was Baylor, but Georgia was nearly the, like they were team 66 or something like that. And probably felt like when their season ended at the SEC tournament that they had done what they needed to get into the tournament, but they missed. Um, ultimately, though, they had outstanding an, an outstanding draft. Uh, Jonathan Cannon coming back, uh, chief among it, but they keep a signing class together. They they bring you know some of their their top. Uh, you know, draft eligible players opting to return to school. And uh, I mean, they, they look like, I mean, we have them in the never too early top 25. They're I'm sure going to be in the official preseason top 25. They, I mean, are plausible contenders for the sec East title. Um, you know, Vanderbilt is the presumed favorite for that right now, but they're, I mean, they're dealing with a lot of questions of their own. So I, Georgia feels to me, I mean, Joe technically doesn't have them labeled as an obvious choice, but to me, that is the most obvious of the choices. Yeah, they were, you know, they are kind of an obvious choice just because they are maybe, maybe the best team on the board here. Um, you can certainly make that argument. They are the only one currently ranked in our top 25. Will probably very well could be the only one ranked in the top 25, but there are a couple of others I suppose we could consider. But they are obvious from the standpoint of this is this is the team that feels like right now the most sure thing to be pretty doggone good next season. And the more they're kind of the did team you do that team. on purpose. Oh, doggone! I did not. I did not. But uh, we'll pretend like I did. I guess. Um, I wish I could be that that quick on my feet with stuff like that. But alas, I cannot. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they're kind of they're kind of like Baylor. We talked about a couple weeks ago. Where like the more I read about them, the more I kind of buy in on it and. Obviously, we had them in the in the offseason top twenty five, and so I knew that we had high hopes for them. But if I if I'm honest, that was definitely the team where I think you probably pushed for them at the time, and I was kind of like, yeah, okay, you know, like all right, <laughs> sure, you know, because when you get to a certain point after about twenty, it's just like, especially in the offseason top twenty five, you're really just throwing darts. So I was uh, like, all right, yeah, okay, they were pretty good last year, and if you're telling me everybody's coming back or a lot of people are coming back, then I'll buy in on that. But the more I read on them, the more it, interested I am there. I mean, this is a team that the concern has almost always in recent years anyway, been the position player group. And I actually really like the position player group this year. Um, and then on the mound, they, they, their injury luck can't possibly be worse than what they had last year on the mound. I mean, last year with a healthy pitching staff, they probably for the entire season, they probably get into the postseason. Uh, didn't happen though. And this, so this year they've got, you know, led by Jonathan Cannon, they've got, um, you know, really talented group. They lose a couple guys there, but I think the younger guys they have moving up into bigger roles are just as talented perhaps as the guys they have moving out there. And, and a lot of those younger guys got innings because they had to get innings last yeah, year. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a, just a really 
well-rounded team. Like this is a, a legit good team on this list. And, and last year, again, context important last year, they were probably almost as good as what we're projecting them to be. They just ran into some bad luck. And that's why I talked about earlier that, you know, this, this team wasn't bad. It just, they had some bad luck and it led them to being a little bit disappointing relative to what we thought they might be capable of, you know, instead of having them in the obvious choices column, I had them in a bucket of teams that were close in 2021 that I think are kind of building towards something. I had them there with Kentucky and a little bit different. I I think the ceiling is not as high for Kentucky. Uh, I, I don't love in terms of looking at the roster that they, they did lose a handful of their best offensive players from last year, but I think they did a really good job in the portal, especially on the position player side. And that's a pitching staff that doesn't have like the, the hottest names in terms of um, prospect status or track record or anything like that. Although Ryan Hagenow is a, a pretty good arm that a lot of people probably don't know about, but I think that pitching staff is a lot better than people give them credit for. There were a handful of guys that could have left to start pro careers or just move on or what have you that decided to come back to Kentucky. Uh, so that's a big deal for them. I think the depth is good on the mound. So that's a Kentucky team that, you know, not, not altogether unlike Georgia, although for different reasons, was probably just a couple wins short of getting into the postseason last season. I mean, it was it was even closer than that, potentially. I mean, like, yes, that ultimately comes down to a couple wins here or there, but they were playing Florida in a series that, as I recall, ran Thursday to Saturday. They had won Thursday night, and they were winning on Friday night late, like eighth, ninth inning. They think they get – uh, a strikeout to end the game. I guess this must have been in the ninth. Doesn't get called that way. Um, and then Florida winds up coming back in that game, winning that game, and then they kind of rolled over Kentucky in the the series finale to to win the series. And things just kind of unraveled on the Cats after that. Um, but you know they beat Florida in that series, and you know they things things are different for the Wildcats and. You know, that, that, that's really how close it was. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I do remember that series actually pretty well. Um, I think it was early May. I feel like I mean, it was like the first week. I, yeah. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like the last weekend of the season, but it was like after that Kentucky loss, like they needed to win. They had a really tough closing schedule. They needed right. to take one of the series against like Kentucky or against Florida, Vanderbilt. Uh, maybe they played Tennessee late too. Yeah, they and, did. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they had it, they, they very nearly had the series that they needed in the bag and they weren't able to close it. And then like Vanderbilt swept them on the last weekend and they went to Hoover and lost on Tuesday and that was kind of it for them. But if they had, if they get that win, you know, things, things probably go a little bit differently. And to your point, they have, they have some nice pieces coming back. They have Ryan Ritter at shortstop who, um, you know, depending on how much you like Ryan Ritter is a potential like top 50 or higher pick um and like like you said they they did some nice adding in the transfer portal to uh to replace some of the those key losses yeah i was looking at going back to to kentucky's schedule here uh from last season and it was yeah it was just really like a like a white knuckle ride to try to like cross the finish line they just couldn't uh quite get there the really crushing blow in hindsight i think was they had a home series you know, and it, it was right after that Florida series. So if you want to talk about just a swing in momentum, maybe that's what we're looking at here, but they had a home series that next weekend against South Carolina and they got swept in that one. That was probably the most winnable series of, of the group. That was a period of time when, you know, South Carolina was kind of 
reeling is maybe too strong a word, but there were definitely cracks in the foundation of South Carolina that, that we ended up seeing get, get, you know, get worse as, as the season went on. So that was a, that was a real opportunity there and they ended up getting swept in that one. And that's, you know, that, that, that's the one that Rob probably felt most gettable and they weren't really all that, the scores just aren't that competitive in that series. They were, they were clearly pretty flat there. So uh, yeah, but no, I think the 2022 team has a chance to kind of bounce back from that and uh, get Kentucky back into a regional, um, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting group. You never know how the transfer portal thing is going to work. This is a, an experiment for a lot of teams that are really trying to, to reboot on the fly. And, and Kentucky is going to give us a good, uh, you know, a good test of that. The, the good news about Kentucky going into the portal uh, before we move on is that this is a program that has kind of consistently been into junior college players under Nick Mangione and before, but um, you know, they've, uh, they've had success incorporating those kinds of players already. Um, you know, so now they're just doing it with, you know, Ryan Ritter showed up after one year of junior college, as I recall. Um, now they'll have, instead of just one year of experience, they're bringing in a player with two, three, four years of experience. So I, I think that that's a, that's a place where, you know, you can feel somewhat confident about their ability to, uh, to do that kind of thing. Uh, speaking of transfer portal, uh, we've talked about this team a lot. Um, but Texas A&M, very serious bounce back potential, starting with the fact that, look, they won, what was it, nine SEC games last year. Uh, it, uh, on some level, you, you just kind of expect that to be better as Jim Schlossnickel comes in and, um, you know, gives the, the program just a, a new a new voice. Um, you know, oftentimes you see a bump for new coaches and, uh, you know, maybe A&M can take advantage of that and even if they couldn't, uh, they brought in a ton of new players uh, from the portal that, that are going to try and give the Aggies an infusion of new talent and, uh, you know, see them take a step forward. Yeah, it's a uh, – they're going to be – I've said this before, but they're going to be the toughest team to kind of place uh, come when, when we really get down to brass tacks and try to figure out where to, where to place teams in the pecking order. I, I mean, I think, I'd, I think I'd probably have them as a regional team just when you consider that – you know, X number of, of SEC teams are going to be regional teams. And given what they, they added, I think they probably end up as I, as I look at it here, making the cut on that, but. You know, I, I will, we'll get into this in the long run, but I will say no, no. Uh, but I like, That's they're going to be right on the cut line, probably just yeah. like how many teams of the 14 can you jam into the field? They can't all go. This isn't softball, but right. uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I, I think that they are, like right on the, there'll be a bubbly team. Right. And, you know, you have to think of it from this standpoint, right? I mean, I don't mean to be disparaging, but they've added a lot of very talented players, um, but it's different playing in the SEC. You know, some of these guys, you know, when, when you get right down, like Jack Moss could have played in the SEC, right? When he get in the transfer portal after he left Arizona State, there were several SEC teams interested in, in bringing him on. And, and many more probably would have been if they felt like they maybe had a chance at him, like, you know, or, or had the space for him. So, but a lot of these guys they've added are players that were not considered when they came out of high school to be SEC level players. And had they not been as veteran as they were and had Texas A&M not had, you know, glaring needs all over the field, probably wouldn't be playing in the SEC this year. And again, I don't mean that to, to, <laughs> to be mean about it. It's just kind of the reality that they're trying to reboot this thing on the fly with a lot of, with a lot of pieces from a lot of different places. And, um, 
So I think it's entirely possible it works, meaning they've got like a really solid team and they've plugged a lot of holes all over the field. Uh, but does that add up to it being a team that's better than 500 in the SEC? And now 500 in the SEC gets you in pretty comfortably into the, into the field. So, you know, but it, being anything better than that, I feel like would almost be a little bit of, of icing on the cake. That being said, I think we both are pretty bullish on Jim Schlossnagel in that role uh, more long-term. I think this year is going to be an interesting, just kind of one-off situation. Uh, some of these, these transfers they brought in are younger. I think, you know, Jack Moss being chief among them, but there are also guys who are older and will be moving out after one year. And, and I, I do think we will also see a pretty big overhaul in the roster again after next season, just as, as they continue to try to turn that over and, and get that going. But just, you know, from the standpoint of AM, probably, I mean, even if you run it back with the same team next year, I think there's a, a pretty entirely likely scenario. They win several more games than nine are much closer to the bubble than, than not. Um, even, even if you just had the same roster, because that's, it's kind of just the, been the history there. So you start from that as a baseline. I think next year's team has a chance to be quite a bit better. They will probably at least be on the bubble. Like we've, we've talked about, but just an, an obvious candidate from the standpoint of, Hey, this is a program that doesn't typically finish that low in the SEC standings. And also, uh, you know, this, this is a coaching staff that clearly has gone about working hard to make sure the product in the field in 2022 is, is significantly better right out of the shoot. Uh, all right. So the other obvious choice you had was Louisville. And I don't really want to spend hardly any time on Louisville because I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, you know, Louisville's a team that makes the College World Series pretty consistently, like certainly competes ACC titles pretty consistently and spent a whole lot of time last year looking like it was going to compete for an ACC title uh, until the injuries finally caught up with it. Now, the the reason I guess the the devil's advocate to Louisville as a bounce back team is that Henry Davis was the number one overall pick and they still missed the tournament. Uh, and now they have to replace Henry Davis among others, but chief chief among him, among them, Henry Davis. So I like, if you're, if you're going to question Louisville, I think it starts with the fact that the heart of their order, Davis and Benellis uh, moved on to pro ball and now they're going to have to find answers for that and you know just stay healthier on the map yeah it's it's um boy they are they were just a weird team last year um it's the kind of season that you know if this were college football whatever the college football equivalent of this would be um would be getting a lot of attention it's just like a weird case study but because it's college baseball you know flew under the radar but just a a weird year when you when you consider that like all of the following things were true. Like they had just horrible luck with injuries and COVID. And it was kind of not clear at various points, like which things were injuries, which things were COVID going on there. But they, they would just like week to week, you and I were scrambling to try to figure out like, who does Louisville even have this weekend? And so that was going on at the same time to your point, kind of, they, I mean, they really entered May. They're like, totally fine going into May. Yeah, like going into May, it was like this team now, part of it was because like the ACC outside of Notre Dame, especially as we entered May, uh, we know what we know now about NC State, but at that time we were still like, you know, hey, here comes NC State, but how good are they really? Uh, outside of Notre Dame, I mean, that the ACC was just very blah for much of last year. And so it was like, well, Louisville might be the second best team in the ACC. And 
that it was just a complete collapse down the, down the stretch. And still, furthermore, had it been a regular schedule as opposed to the ACC doing 36, at least on paper, conference games, Louisville only got 32. But had, they, had it not been that, and not just Louisville, but other teams around the conference had an opportunity to maybe, to use a phrase that Mike Rooney likes, cross-pollinate their RPI a little bit, like Louisville might have gotten in with a similar resume than what they had. The RPI just tanked. Um, and in a lot of ways, because they were only playing ACC clubs for the most part, they also took a loss to Western Illinois during the season. So don't, don't do that. Um, well, they that also help. had a ton of top 50 wins. It was the strangest resume you could have put together. Oh yeah. I mean, you, it's like a perfect storm of like stuff. That's like, what is it? What does this amount to? And what it amounted to was them missing out on the tournament. And that kind of felt, um, you know, although, you know, obviously there, there are real things at stake here. The, those players didn't get to, you know, playing the postseason, all that kind of stuff. But like, it felt fitting in a way that they didn't make the postseason because it just really felt like a struggle last year for Louisville. Just like everything, even when they were really, you know, quote unquote cooking, uh, it, it really just felt like everything was super hard for them last year. So it, it did feel a little bit fitting that they, they just fell a little bit short. Um, now, what I will say, they are obvious because the history here suggests that not only will they be back, but they'll be back to being one of the best teams in the ACC. But I do think there is a pretty wide range of outcomes between what I think is probably the floor here, which is a solid team back in a regional um, probably is like a two, like I'd compare it to, Oh, I forget if it was 17 or 18 that I guess it was 18 that Louisville was in like the Lubbock regional as a two. And they were, they were a good team, but we knew they really weren't going to go to Lubbock and win that regional. Like that feels like kind of the floor for this team that the ceiling of course is much higher but they do have a decent number of questions. I mean, one of the reasons why they struggled to the extent they did last year was, you know, they tried some things in the mound, Michael Kieran in the rotation, et cetera, that just didn't quite work. Uh, you know, Jack Perkins wasn't what we thought he was going to be. And so now they're, they're leaning pretty hard on a relatively unproven group of guys. Uh, you know, Michael Prosecchi is going to be a really important guy out there. For example, Jared Poland bouncing back feels like that's going to be pretty important. Uh, for this team, but it's a largely unproven group there. And, and, and in the lineup, you know, you mentioned some of Henry Davis being gone, Alex Benellis being gone, um, you know, Levi Usher having a good year feels pretty important there, but you're also really buying in on guys like Dalton rushing and, and Ben Metzinger and uh, you know, guys like that who have kind of been around and have had productive moments, but haven't had their star turn yet at Louisville. And, and this is what Louisville does, right? We talk about this all the time, guys who have been productive players who have been role players who've had flashes two or three years in the program, then kind of turn into stars, turn into some of the best players in the ACC. So that's what they're looking to have happen this year. But it feels to me a little like they're looking for that to happen in a lot of different places. And I don't know that I feel comfortable betting against that happening, but I'm willing to at least acknowledge that that's a lot of if there for this team to reach its absolute ceiling. A lot of players are going to have to make big jumps. It's possible but we, we need to also understand that that is also asking a lot of that team. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you're you're not looking at a, a College World Series contender. I mean, they're not in the never too early top 25. I'd be surprised if they went into the preseason top 25. But, you know, we'll, uh, we'll just have to see what they've got. But I, I do, I mean, it, it's clear to see why they would bounce back. But, I mean, you also do have to remember that, I mean, this is a team that swept North Carolina State uh won a series against UVA and split with Notre Dame and I mean obviously if you talk to anybody at Louisville they would probably tell you that they were 
they feel like they could have gone out and won that that series against Notre Dame had they played on Sunday. Um, you know, those are, I mean, two College World Series teams and a team in Notre Dame that won the ACC and fell one game short of the, the College World Series themselves. So, yeah, they have to replace some pieces. But at their best last year, Louisville was flying high. Um, so if the if the cards can get back to that, they uh, they should be able to make last year into a, a weird COVID year blip. Well, no, before we move on quickly, I, I, know, I know you're about to move on, but, uh, you know, we should have devoted an off-season episode, like, like several months ago, to really just revisiting how meh the ACC was last year. Like, my goodness. Like, there was a time I meant to, I meant to do something like that. And it has, it, it fell through the cracks. Yeah. I mean, I think it speaks to our ability to kind of create content here that we haven't really had to rehash much from last year to create, to create content, but that was something that we probably should have done, but my, just my goodness, what a, what a mess. I mean, and some of it was the schedule, but I think in general, it was just a very, a very blah year that put out some great things, right? I mean, Notre Dame, NC State, for, you know, Virginia end up doing what they do, but boy, it was a circuitous route. Indeed, it was. Uh, I'm just going to mention here another ACC school you had in the, the original post, which was Wake Forest. Um, they really struggled with, uh, you know, they, they were hit as hard by COVID as probably anyone in the country, really, and never really recovered. Uh, they went through a whole bunch of changes this offseason, and we'll probably get into Wake Forest. Uh, that's a little tease for you. A, a little more here on a future episode of the Baseball America College podcast. So, I'm going to just mention Wake Forest and we're going to move on uh, to another team that we already talked about here on the podcast this offseason. Uh, that's Cal, Cal State Fullerton. We had new head coach Jason Dietrich on. Um, things obviously have not gone particularly well for Fullerton over the last few years. Uh, that said, they are still one of the Big West, you know, you know real powerhouses. They've got talent. There is reason to believe that they should be better than they are. And now, again, like like I said, with with Jim Schlossnagel at at A and M, you get a bit of a new coach bump, and you know, all of a sudden, Fullerton, you know, while I don't think they're going to be ready to compete with you know UCSB or Long Beach State this year, uh, or, or Irvine at the top of the conference, but I mean, they certainly should be able to uh, to get back to a, a place that they're much more used to being. And, hey, I mean, if everything breaks right, maybe they can compete uh, for a conference title. Yeah, they certainly, this is a classic case of, like, things can't really be worse at Fullerton, right? I mean, I have to assume, you would know better than I, because you do the recruiting stuff. I have to assume, like, maybe at this point they're getting out recruited by, you know, Irvine or Santa Barbara or, you know, Cal Poly, even if you take Brooks Lee out of the equation, but I mean, like I'll give the shows the best recruiting out there right now. Everyone else, like I wouldn't necessarily say is definitely better than Fullerton, but beach is probably up there. Poly mm. has really good moments. Like it's not just Brooks Lee that's happening there. Um, but I don't think it's happening as consistently. And the Irvine thing is a little too new for me to have gone my arms wrapped around it. I mean, they have a lot of, really good players. So at least very recently, I think they've probably out-recruited Fullerton, but I mean, that's not a historical reality. Yeah. So, I mean, I say all that to say, like, they're still recruiting right there with 
the teams that they would need to recruit with. And, you know, and I understand the history of Fullerton is such that the diehards at Fullerton, of which there are some, which is not altogether common on the West Coast, but college baseball diehards, Fullerton has them. Uh, they would like them to be recruiting with the SEC, right? Um, that's not a reality at this point, but you know, within the Big West, they are. Still I mean, rec- like, I think they wouldn't even like. They might say, like, "Oh, okay, we can't do that," but like, can we at least recruit like USC or right. UCLA? And right. like, I mean, they're they're a long ways off from doing that too. Sure, but they're still as talented as is really in terms of recruiting. They're still getting as much talent in the conferences as most anyone, except for maybe you know one or two teams at this point, and yet. You know, they finished ninth last year in the Big West. I think it was ninth. Um, that's just shockingly bad. Like, it just can't possibly be worse. So I think that team's going to improve just by virtue of, like, again, like I said with A&M, if you run it back with the same guys, I don't know if it's that bad. But um, so I, I do think there is, like, maybe just the, the benefit of a new new voice in the dugout. Obviously, Jason Dietrich has had success at Fullerton as an assistant. Uh, you know, the best years that Fullerton had under Rick Vanderhoek uh, were really those years when Dietrich was there as the pitching coach. So that, that they are taking a bet that that is not a coincidence there. Um, they also are kind of, I think it's poetic maybe is, is, is maybe the right way to put it that they are really starting over. And, and the group of players who just left were kind of among the last, you know, groups of players that there was a lot of buzz about coming into Fullerton and it just never quite came together. So while he was productive, you know, Tanner, Tanner Bybee ends up, you know, moving on to pro baseball, but, you know, Cameron Guangarena, who was a, a big name catcher out of the California prep ranks, you know, he transferred to coastal Carolina, um, you know, Michael Knorr in the, in the rotation, Kyle Luckham in the rotation with Luckham's going to Arizona state, like talented guys who a lot was expected of. And for them individually and for the team, it just never quite came together. So I do think there is, I mean, this is, this is a pretty hard reset here for Fullerton. So I, you know, I want to temper expectations here because I, I do think expecting a switch to just kind of get flipped here um, would be foolhardy. I think this is going to be a little bit of a process for Fullerton, but that being said, I, I do think improvement probably comes in 2022, you know, if for no other reason, because it can't get worse, but also just because I do think there is something to like, it was just kind of kind of time to turn things over a little bit at Fullerton and, and maybe get a little bit of a, a fresh start. Yeah. That, that one is maybe the most interesting one to watch here on uh on the whole list for me uh touch on another west coast one here briefly that is washington i think uh you know you you group them together they uh you know as a that was probably the bottom right wasn't it um uw does not have a new coach coming in you know to to breathe the you know to, to get that new coach bump Lindsay megs uh remains there but i mean uw recruits well they have a good coaching staff and, and Lindsay Meggs and Elliot Cribby and, and, and the rest of them out there. I, they've got the pieces in place. I just think last year was I, that that has to have been a one off. They th- this is too good of a program to, to stay down uh, like, like there were last year for me. Totally agree. I don't this is a team that I don't particularly understand exactly what happened last year. I can tell you if I look at the stat sheet, what happened. That's just like. The offense outside of Will Simpson wasn't very good, period. And Washington never has the most physically imposing offense, but they do typically have, if you go back to their college world series team, they had, you know, a couple, you know, Nick Kale had a really nice year and, um, Oh, the big DH. Who's the DH. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, <laughs> uh, Wayne house, Joe, Wayne yes. house. you know, he was one of the hottest hitters on the West coast. The second half of that college world series year, 
by the time he got to Omaha, it was something crazy. Like he had like 13 home runs in his previous 18 games or something, you know? So they always kind of have a couple of guys, the, the lineup revolves around and they've got a couple of other guys who do a couple things really well and they piece it together offensively, but kind of felt like last year, the bottom really fell out on the offense and the pitching was solid, but wasn't really good enough to make up for the lack of offense. And so I can tell you that that happened, but I don't, beyond that, I don't really know. I mean, at one point they lost 10 conference games in a row and that's just, you know, Washington should not be at the bottom of the state, you know, should not be down at the bottom of the standings with Utah. Like that's just an incongruent situation there. They continue to recruit well, um, as you as you noted. So I think there's there's hope there. Also, it, again, it's a team that you you would struggle to imagine a scenario where they're worse next year. One thing that's interesting about the Pac-12, though, that I think does make this a little bit more complicated for you, Dub, is that there was a time where you kind of would assume in the Pac-12, like, okay, they're better than this team, they're better than that team, and that might still be the case with say Utah. But a couple of the programs that you know, if you go back three or four years ago, were really kind of struggling have seemed to have gotten it together. Oregon, obviously chief among them, but even Washington state under Brian green is really moving in the right direction. You may remember last year, at least a fleeting moment where it looked like Wazoo might get into the at-large discussion. Didn't play out that way, but that was clearly a better team. There, there was a path in May for Wazoo. For sure. It was, it was a really hard path, but it was there. They had, they had created that for themselves. So like, you know, UW's path to just be better in the Pac-12 and move up a few slots is not as easy as it was a few years ago. So I say a lot to say they could be better last year, but the path has gotten a little more difficult in the Pac-12. It's not as top-heavy a league, but I do think the middle has really firmed up there. Yes, I I would agree with that. But having said all of that, this is a league without any sort of defined, like like nobody is winning 25 in the Pac this year, we don't think. Um, You know, something that happens with relative frequency that the league gets won with, 23 24 plus wins um I don't, I don't see a team like that this year we like stanford certainly and maybe they put it together like that but i it it seems much more like the whole league is going to be operating closer to 500 and so at that point just a few breaks and, and you're you're where you need to be uh all right we'll uh we'll hit on a couple more here uh before we get out of here um I think the most interesting, you know, kind of similar here, similar teams here, you know, you're just kind of the, the programs are really good. The conferences usually help them, you know, get into uh, the tournament picture, Indiana, Coastal Carolina, both missed the tournament last year. Obviously those are two programs that are used to making regionals uh, and we think can certainly get back to that. Uh, but for me, Joe, the, the more interesting team that, that you mentioned here that I, I want to spend a little bit of time on is UCF and uh, wow. Okay, so you look at you look at the roller coaster ride that that was UCF over the last couple of years. In 2020, they were off to a sensational start. Of course, season gets canceled. Expected UCF to be very good again in 2021. It just never really came together for for the the Knights. They were more fine uh you know kind of just middle of the pack american team and uh ends up being usf that goes to the postseason not ucf and uh now you look at it again and and, you know again there's you 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 look at it you see talent you see some expectation but you know okay so which which is it going to be this year and i mean that's uh that's one that i'm i'm interested in digging into more over over the next month. 
Yeah, I do, so just a peek behind the curtain for listeners, I have a Google Doc I put together to kind of classify these teams and put them in buckets. So like, you know, I put the obvious choices bucket and then I put the it can't possibly be worse bucket. I put the like betting on tradition and conference affiliation bucket. And then for this one, it's UCF by itself. And it just says, I don't know, man, um, because I. It's a talented team. We obviously like them a lot coming into last year. We like the we had them ranked in the preseason, didn't we? We did. Yeah. Yeah. We, we certainly did. Like, and then we, yeah, and then we took them immediately out and then they won that series against Ole Miss. Like, just- Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, the roller coaster ride was, it was, there were more ups and downs than I, than I like maybe led it to believe, but yeah, they, they, uh, you know, they lost to FAU on opening weekend and then they go to Swayze and win a series. Yeah. Just bonkers. I mean, and it's amazing too for all Against the newly and- crowned number one Ole Miss at the time. It's like this just happened yeah. last night. Like Rutgers going and knocking Purdue. It, Ole Miss had never been number one in the Baseball America Top Twenty Five. They win that. They sweep through that series in Arlington last year on opening weekend. Move up to number one. Uh, they get to enjoy that for all of a week because then they lose at home to UCF. Much like uh, you know, Purdue finally in, in men's basketball becomes number one for the first time ever in, in program history. They enjoy it for all of a week before Rutgers upsets them on a buzzer beating shot in Jersey Mike's arena center plaza. I, I don't know what they call it yeah. there. Rest in peace to the rack. That is a, that is a, that is a tragedy that they no longer call it. Right. They actually got a I don't know. Jersey like, Mike's is pretty good. Get the, I mean, get that money. You know what I mean? Like on the naming rights. <laughs> But at the same time, secure the bag, but also understand that by not calling it the rack anymore at Rutgers, you're being disrespectful to <laughs> history. Uh, as one of the places, even when Rutgers was terrible in men's basketball, that was always a tough place to play. Like that was one of the things you always heard is like a oh, tough place to play the rack. And you're always kind of like, well, why don't they win more? Um, anyway, as, a, as an aside there. But yeah, so it was, it, it, it's also kind of amazing that for all of the roller coaster ride that UCF was last season, they ended up pretty much exactly 500, which seems kind of hard to do. <laughs> like just It also felt right. Yeah, exactly. It really did. So, I mean, this really kind of feels like a shrug of the shoulders and a like, let's just run this back and try this again. Now, now I, I will, I will say not to cut you off here, Joe, that, yep. okay. So last year, the American went to four game weekends. Not everyone is built for that. And I'm not saying that UCF was less built for that than Wichita or somebody, but look, that's not the way anybody plans to play a college baseball season anymore. So just getting back to more normalcy with three game series with midweek games against in-state competition that can be you know, very advantageous to their RPI. I mean, just doing that, you would think would be beneficial to this team getting back into regionals. And look, I mean, we we're bought in on the program trajectory in general led by Greg Lovelady and we like the team enough. Like it just, UCF seems like, except last year, obviously, that they're always in the bubble. They're always right there. Like this team has to get to a regional eventually. Like it just has to happen again. Like the, there's not a glaring deficiency here. I don't think that we can pinpoint that has kept them from, kept them out. Um, we can probably nitpick some things, but, but whatever, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're an interesting, an interesting one uh, to, to see how that plays out. And I think an, an American, at least before the realignment, shakes out i think the american could be a pretty strong uh this coming season um and maybe provide a little more parity and a little more opportunity for for solid wins inside the conference than last year where it was like if you're if you don't get east carolina you you might not get an opportunity to, to add something to your resume in conference so um perhaps that'll change in 
2022. Very uh, quickly here before we we move on from this, if I give you, so there were some teams that we that I put on this doc that were like not included in the original piece, but are worth mentioning. Some are like super hipster, like off the radar stuff, like Lamar. Shouts to Lamar. Yeah, Lamar. <laughs> like if they were, if Lamar was going to be in the Southland, like that might be a conference title contender. Like it's a veteran offense. Every coach I talked to in the Southland the last couple of years, because Lamar has not been very good. Every coach looks at it and goes, that team, that team, they won't be bad again. Like they're going to, they're going to get it figured out. That team is too talented. I think people like Will Davis, like, you know, there was a lot of optimism about him. It just hasn't happened. And I think this year could be a year though. They've got a guy named Josh Ekmes on the mound. who has a lot of buzz about like guy who gets up to triple digits on his fastball. Like I said, it's a veteran offense. So they've got some real guys there. Um, the thing about it is they lost a pitcher to Texas. They lost a pitcher to Oklahoma and they lost a pitcher to West Virginia on their staff. Like I shudder to think how good they might've been, you know, for, for shudder for the sake of their opponents, how good they might've been had those guys stuck around. <laughs> like that's kind of nuts. But anyway, moral of the stories there. I mean, there's some pretty hipster stuff there. Lamar, I think maybe Houston, that's not quite hipster, but they kind of fall into the category of like, it can't be worse. They added Kyle Bunn as a pitching coach and he's not like the, the hottest name in pitching coaches, but wherever he goes, they, they pitch pretty well. He does a good job. Middle Tennessee State is where he was. I guarantee most they're going to throw way more strikes at Houston yes. than they did last year. Yes, he is. He definitely comes from like the, and I don't, I'm not drawing a link between these two people necessarily, but just in terms of stylistically, like he's kind of from the Frank Anderson school of like just throw strikes and like let's start with that. Um, Middle Tennessee State pitched pretty well with him at the helm. Um, so at Houston, I think he's got an opportunity to, to affect some, some positive change there. So I think Houston will be improved, but anyway, I, I say all that to say, that's a long preamble. If I give you these two teams, tell me which one you would bet on more in terms of a bounce back, uh, Auburn or Clemson. Oh boy. I mean, let's just cut right to the heart of, of the matter here. Like not even give me like, ah, oh, well, like maybe West Virginia, like I, I could talk myself into West Virginia, right? Like the big 12 is a little more open. Like, no, let's, let's, let's go right to the heart of it. Right, so, also on the sheet for those scoring yes. at home. Um, my feeling on Auburn is that last year has to have been the bottom. Like they, they fit into that kind of category that they had terrible injury luck. Um, they started the season well, and it just, it, it fizzled at some point. You look at guys like Mason Barnett on the mound, um, you know, some of the hitters they have coming back, like it's got to be better. That said, they play in the SEC West, and if you're going to go up, who's coming down to you? And like, okay, like maybe Alabama. Like if you're a little, if you're on on the tide, then I probably am. Uh, and maybe you don't think A and M's going to come up, but I still, uh, it's a it's a really hard division to be in. ACC feels more open, um, but. You know, and, and if you're you're Clemson, you're looking at Caden Grice and saying, like, I mean, like, he could be the best player in the conference. Like, that's that's certainly within the range of possibilities for for Caden Grice. And, you know, we've got some exciting talent on the mound. Like, maybe maybe things can can get put together. I mean, I I guess ultimately that is my answer is is Clemson just because. I don't want to pick a team in the SEC West to, to make a, a rebound when you're looking at the reigning national champs, Ole Miss bringing back the whole offense, 
LSU looking like the offensive juggernaut they'll be and, you know, Arkansas still being Arkansas. Like, I don't want to say that, you know, anyone in the SEC West outside of those four teams is, is going to make a move. Um, so I guess it's got to be Clemson, but, you know, Clemson wasn't that great last year. They missed the tournament for a reason. Uh, they weren't truly on the bubble at the end. Um, but I, 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 I guess I got to go Clemson. I think I'm with you for all the reasons you stated, uh, you know, important when you're having a discussion like this, because one thing on talent, right. If we, if we did it on talent, I think, you know, maybe you, you look at Auburn and you, you can really do like a side by side, but then you, when you really have to dig in and, and determine, okay, what do we mean by this? Like getting back to a regional, certainly the path I think for Clemson is, is and more I think for, like so so bounce back means something different for every team on this list but i but i think in this case they are basically looking to do the same thing these are consistent regional teams that missed last year and are trying to get back correct yeah it's a good point uh, th- so these these two teams really are interesting because I, I think you're right they are very similar in terms of their goals for 2022 what they're looking to get back to what happened in in 2021 although the bottom fell out a little more at auburn but you might just blame that on the SEC versus the ACC. I did look, take a quick peek at, at Auburn's schedule for 2022, and I have bad news for their bounce back hopes. Uh, they in the East, the, the crossover series, they miss Missouri, um, so that's not not ideal. Um, also, two potentially winnable series among their series. They do get Alabama at home; that that's helpful. Uh, but Kentucky is on the road, and Texas A&M is on the road, and those are two teams that if you're going to be fighting to get back onto the right side of the bubble or better, those are, you know, A&M and Kentucky are kind of the teams you're probably going to be battling it out with. And those two series are both on the road. So not necessarily the best case scenario there for Auburn in terms of, in terms of the schedule. So that just adds another layer of complication to it. Now, all that said, um, I really like Butch Thompson and he has exceeded expectations in just about every season he's been at Auburn last year, obviously the exception, but, uh, and, and you can argue the first year, but I would say like, look, he got hired in October. Like, what do you want from the guy? Uh, just about every other year, they've been better. They've gone further than anyone expected. So, you know, you do have that working for you. If you're, if you're looking to make a bounce back, like you have a guy who's leading your program who has proven that, you know, he can get a team to exceed expectations. So, you're, you're, if, if you're making the case for Auburn, I think that's a, an important part of it. And I think the, uh, you know, that they, they have some, some very talented pitching that I would, I would be excited about as well. Interesting to watch quickly on Auburn too, the uh, importing over Samford's offense, essentially, you know, so yes. need to share uh, Brooks Carlson. Uh, those guys were both very, very good at Samford. I think they'll still be productive. A big key will be, are they SEC you know, solid SEC level productive, or are they just, you know, kind of, um, you know, something less than that. And that's, I think that feels like a, feels like a key for them. Absolutely. Well, that was, uh, that was fun looking into to some of these teams. Uh, if you want to get, if you, basically, if you want a little more written content on, on these teams, if, if listening to me and Joe talking about them wasn't enough for you, you can find the, uh, the full story over at Baseball America Dot com where again you can pre-order your prospect handbook we're uh, we're sending it to press uh, in a week and it'll be out sometime in a couple months uh, never never can get an exact date as to when that that'll start shipping but um, you know 
late January, early February is generally a, a pretty good bet on that. So uh, look for that uh, then. And, and if you're interested, make sure you pre-order so you can get it as soon as, uh, as it starts, starts shipping out of the, the warehouse. Uh, we will be back here with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast next week. So make sure you are following uh, the, the, pod, the Baseball America uh, feed on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find us there. Joe and I are on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy ba if you're uh, interested in uh whatever we're we're tweeting out these days it's december i'll admit it's a little light but check us out on twitter as well thank you to rap soto for presenting this and every edition of the baseball america college podcast thank you all for listening here in uh in december like i mentioned i mean we'll we'll be cranking up to uh preseason uh, very soon, but but this is probably as deep in the off season as as you really can get with uh, with all the all the comp- competing things for your time these days. But maybe you're you're going to the mall and uh, checking us out. So while you're doing some last minute shopping, uh, so we appreciate you spending some time with us here on the Baseball America College Podcast. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.